Dear fellow redeemed, we consider especially our gospel lesson from the Gospel of Luke, chapter 17. And as we begin, there's probably a little bit of context, most of which you are likely aware of, that these men, these ten men, are in a bit of a conundrum. Here they are at this borderline between Galilee, which was Jewish territory, and Samaria, the the middle section, the middle province of Palestine. And they live in this border area, and all of them are outcasts. And so the conundrum, these Jewish men and also these Samaritan men, probably more of them than just the one we hear about, they are segmented away from their society. That that is something that God had set up for his people, that if somebody had a contagious skin disease of some sort, that they were to be segmented away from society. And God had built it into the structure of their government and their worship life for two purposes. The primary purpose, the primary purpose is to demonstrate the truth that people cannot keep themselves clean enough for God, and they cannot make themselves clean for God. And that was the whole um, set of things that are clean and unclean. That if, um, if you had this skin disorder, then you were unclean until it cleared up. And anything that you touched would then be unclean. If you happen to um, you know, grab the, the jug of milk or the orange juice out of the fridge and then somebody else walks in and touches that, then they would be unclean. And in that sense, the uncleanness would spread and multiply among the people as this example of how sin metastasizes and that people cannot make themselves clean enough for God and people cannot cleanse themselves when they have become unclean. And so it's whatever you touch becomes unclean, and anyone or anything who touches that thing also becomes unclean. And if you read through the whole book of Leviticus, you'll see a lot more about this. You'll see regulations about um, if a house has mildew in it, then the house must be destroyed. If um, if somebody touches a dead body, then they are unclean for a while, and so on and so forth. And the primary purpose of God giving this thing, these laws about their worship life, is to demonstrate that spiritual truth that anyone who is unclean could not come into the presence of God unless they were cleansed. And that these people, you and me, that these people, the Israelites, would not be able to keep themselves clean nor make themselves clean once they became unclean. The secondary purpose. The secondary purpose was probably for the health of the nation. That if there was some sort of contagious skin disorder that was debilitating um, and you know, leprosy ends up deadening the nerves so that you can't feel when you touch something hot, for instance. You can't feel when you have a sliver or you touch a nail or something gets stuck in your foot. And it's not just that the leprosy is bad, but it's the the nerve damage because you wouldn't move your hand off the hot burner until you saw it or perhaps smelled it and then the subsequent infection that would result. It's kind of gross. 
we treat it with penicillin these days and, pe and leprosy in and of itself is not a major concern in our area of the world. But at that time, it certainly was because they didn't have the antibiotics and perhaps they didn't have the knowledge of how to treat this other than to keep somebody segmented away from making, making sure that somebody else was infected. Keeping somebody segmented away so that the infection wouldn't spread. And so that's the conundrum. Here are these men who live along the border, who live along the border, and they are cut off from their family, their friends, that people not only don't want to get close to them, that these men also can't come to worship until they're clean, until the spot is gone. And they've got nobody. That perhaps, perhaps somebody might leave some food or whatever other supplies, or perhaps they could work together to eke out a living together. But here they are at the borderline between two people groups of different ethnic backgrounds who had developed such an animosity toward each other. And each of those men cut off from family and friends and neighbors, shouting from a distance, unclean, unclean, stay away. And the only thing that they have in common is their misery. The only thing that they have in common is their sickness. And they find fellowship in that. And that these men, Greeks, not Greeks, um, Galileans and Samaritans, Jewish people and people who had something of a Jewish background and something of a non-Jewish background, that these men found a, son, a sort of fellowship and community together in their misery, that cut off from all of their family and friends and what they had known, that here, in this border town, they found a little bit of respite, a little bit of refuge, a little bit of understanding, and a little bit of even perhaps relaxation that confined, now quarantined in a sense, with men who were equally infected. That they didn't have to worry about letting everybody know and constantly shouting, unclean, unclean, stay away. And to these men who only found fellowship in their misery, Jesus comes. And that's what, that's what happens here in our reading. And it happens time and again where Jesus, throughout his ministry, does things like touches a dead body. He speaks to the dead. Or somebody who is unclean touches him, and that person is cleansed. And here, the men stand at a distance. Jesus, Master, have pity on us. Jesus, Lord, have pity on us. And when he saw them, he doesn't get any closer but instead he adheres, adheres to the Old Testament law. Go show yourselves to the priests, because the priests would be the one to determine if the spot had cleared up and if that person was now ceremonially clean so that they could come and offer the sacrifices required, and then that they could join in the worship again. The dual purpose. Jesus says, go show yourselves to the priests so that... On the way, Jesus cleanses them from a distance. And so that these men would see the primary purpose, that their cleansing had come from this Jesus. 
and now they could join in with worship with the rest of the nation of Israel. And then the secondary purpose, that they were free to rejoin their family. And it's easy to get caught up in the nine who kept on walking. Walking, I don't know, maybe all the way down to Jerusalem? Or if there were other Levites in the area that they could go and see in kind of a regional district arrangement. But whatever the case, one of these men turns around. And we ought to thank God for the gratitude that he displays. Because if we are to pick up on the primary purpose of Jesus in the Old Testament, of God giving these laws about cleanliness and what is clean and unclean, then there's far greater and far more that we have to be thankful for. There's far greater and far more that we have to be thankful for that the reality of sin as you and I have known it and seen it and experienced it and practiced it, acted upon it, whatever the case may be. We know from history, either, either our own personal history or maybe those in extended family or just the history of the world, that sin never stays stagnant, that sin never stays hidden, and that sin always destroys. Always. That sin tears apart at relationships among people and families. That sin worms its way in among a congregation, perhaps, as we hear from 2 Corinthians. That sin is something that you and I cannot um, scrub out. And that, as, as much as we might try, it's impossible. To see ourselves standing there with the ten, having nothing more to offer, and being completely unable to make ourselves clean enough for God, clean enough for a holy God, and whatever, whatever is left and committed into our hands, that it's only by the grace of God that we haven't made a mess of it already. And we know that. And we know that from experience. And we know that from, from history. We know that from Bible history as much as we might even try to put it out of our minds. And how often? How often do we find ourselves walking along through our day with the other nine? Is it possible that we take for granted what happened? Jesus, Master, have pity on us. And he says, go show yourselves to the priests. And these other nine said, well, Jesus told me to go, so I'm going to go do that. And then when I get back to him and I, I see him again, then, um, then I'll be sure to say thank you. Is it possible that we are so familiar with the healing that Jesus has provided, the guidance that he has provided, that the thought of thankfulness is perhaps rote, perhaps something that we get to every now and then, not because we are unthankful people necessarily, but because we don't see the value in the healing that he gives. I know that applies to me. And it probably applies to you in some way, shape, or form. It's kind of what we talked about last week um, where we mentally view our blessings as burdens. 
and this week, we, we see all that Jesus has done. Where he provided for them some sort of physical healing. And we just finished talking in the first article that our gracious Father in heaven provides clothing and shoes, food and drink, house and home. When we pray in the Lord's Prayer, give us this day our daily bread. But perhaps it's so familiar that we forget. And so, one more time, walk back with the one and see this Jesus again. That this exact Jesus has done more for you and me than we could ever imagine. That as if we were cut off from, from God and from one another, and that's the reality, that this same Jesus came to your heart and holy baptism and made that same promise to your children in holy baptism to say that all the reality and all the truth of his resurrection is now entrusted and placed into your hands and your heart. That all the forgiveness and the taking away of sin that he accomplished at the cross is what he has done for you. That even the most, um, the things that might make you ashamed or that you still feel guilt about is a sin that Jesus carried and took away. And not only that, that he has provided you, yes, with the physical things of this world, he's provided for your needs each and every day, and on top of that, that he's brought you and into this community of believers where we work together and where we, we freely confess, Lord, I've sinned against you in thought, word, and deed, and, and I... There's really nothing you can leave out of that. And yet this Jesus reiterates in a tangible way so that you can be sure of it. This Jesus reiterates in a way that you can hear and taste. This Jesus says again, Dear Christian, your sin is taken away and your guilt atoned for. You have been scrubbed clean to stand before God in righteousness and holiness today. And that truth is as certain as the footsteps of Jesus outside of a Judean tomb. That truth is as certain as Jesus crying out in a loud voice, it is finished. That truth is as certain, as certain as the taste on your tongue. Take and eat. This is your Lord's body and blood for the forgiveness of your sin. All of it. thinking on that for just a moment the only reason it might sound preposterous is because it sounds so good that it almost can't be true that if this if this is what our lord has done and that he actually is serious about wanting to build a church and he's serious about his promise that his word will remain forever and he's serious about the reality that the loved ones of yours who died in the Lord are now joining with you in a triumphant worship service forever. And that he's serious about the promises that he makes to you today. That they sound too good to be true, but this one Samaritan says to you and to me, it's all true. That this Jesus has proven it. That this Jesus raised himself from the dead to guarantee to guarantee your spot before the Lord. And that this Jesus, in his word, he still wants to provide guidance for his church in this world today. And I think that's the, 
It's not the main thing, but that's one of the major things that we wanted to talk about today. Um, on your way out, you'll see this like very colorful handout. Um, and if you're watching on YouTube, it's in this week's email. A very colorful handout because over the last uh, year and couple of years in particular, we've had a lot of changes here in the Toledo area. And this is one simple way of trying to summarize the specific blessings that Jesus has given here. We talk about that. I mean, um, you can read through it on your own, but the, the main thing that we have resurrection here exists to share the resurrection of Jesus with others. That's why the, uh, the image for our church, you know, it's kind of like the outline of a church, but then with a stone rolled away, that here in worship, this risen Jesus comes to each one individually and personally through his word. I'll give credit where credit is due, and she probably won't like this. Kristen Failing put this together for us, and I think it's fantastic. Because it, it, shows, it shows our place, that we gather here. But it also shows our purpose, that we gather to hear from a risen Lord Jesus. That we exist to share the resurrection of Jesus with others. That the peace Jesus won in his resurrection is shared through his word and his sacraments. And this peace is seen whenever Christians gather together for fellowship and apply scriptural truth to their lives. Going on, talking about three priorities. How do we do this? And these, these will be you know, pretty much the same wherever um, you find a biblical Lutheran church. Three priorities. Number one is the means of grace. That is the message of forgiveness through Jesus, communicated in word and sacrament. That that is the only thing that makes a church unique compared to any other nonprofit or any other organization in the world. And that is what a church has to make use of in order to remain a church. And then the fellowship. That there is a spiritual fellowship among believers that goes beyond this world. And it's a greater blessing than you could ever quantify. But you'll definitely see it. And you'll know it. And then Christian life, that we still live in a fallen world, and we still have to work to figure out how to apply, um, how to make a clear confession of our faith. That's the basic topic for our Sunday morning Bible class right now. How do we make a clear confession of our faith in a challenging world? But those three things are fairly common among any church that you would go to. But the next side is my observation of what makes resurrection unique among every Lutheran church that you've ever been to. I use the term core values. Um, it's a term that kind of comes from the business world and it's kind of like a, a buzzword thing right now. So I'm not a huge fan of that, but I couldn't think of anything better. So that's what we're stuck with. Um, the first one is optimistic. That the reality of the resurrection means that Jesus has won. And that his victory parade through the world started with his resurrection out of that tomb. And that God's promise of building and continuing to build a church through this word is something that is greater than, than you or I. We've got every reason for gospel-based optimism. And I go into more detail in the next pages. Um, secondly, that holistic, 
um, that in our, in our ministry planning, you know, we put together a ministry plan every year, and, um, and then we, the, the numbers side of that is what we call a budget, <laughs> that a budget is just a, a plan of ministry put into dollars and cents, and that at Resurrection, um, considering especially the specific vocations of fathers and mothers um, of Christians together, of the fact that every baptized person here from the oldest to the youngest is an equal member of the body of Christ, that we will see more benefit and more blessing from our Lord when we operate and plan in line with the orders that he has designed. And I guess the best example of this is um, probably for the last 20 years, maybe the last 40, maybe the last 140, I don't know. But for sure the last 20, that our synod has done a lot of work in their evangelism to try to um, evangelize children. So you've got this Easter for kids, you've got a Christmas for kids, you've got VBS, um, you've got a, maybe a, a Christian daycare or early childhood center, um, you've got day school, uh, Christian day school, and all of these things have their place and they, they aren't in and of themselves inherently bad. But in a world of limited resources and limited time, to reinforce the reality that children aren't to be shuttled off to a different part of the, of the building during the worship service, but instead they are invited to participate in whatever fashion that takes, even if it's the young child crying out at the top of their lungs. That, that we plan for holistic things um, to, to bring people together of every age. And that we, you know, my preference at least, is that we have the confidence to speak about Jesus to an adult and encourage them to bring their children. That maybe for the last 20, 40 years, who knows, that it's a lot easier to put together a fantastic children's program and, and see that parents value that. But it's a lot more, a lot less intimidating, one might say, to put on a children's program and send them home and say that this is the best we could have done. When the more challenging thing, but in line with what God has designed in vocations of families, the more challenging is to say and put into words, I believe in the resurrection of the dead. I believe that this Jesus literally, physically, historically, actually, scripturally rose from the dead, and that truth has changed my life. And I want you to come and, and meet this Jesus, that resurrection. It's a big change, and I don't have all the answers of how that should work and what that is supposed to look like. Um, but I talk about that more later in the book here. And then finally, excellent. Um, and we're talking about the, these three things as, as core values, as things that Pastor Hagen has seen over the last four and a half years here, of what makes resurrection unique um, compared to other places where I've been or where I've served. Excellent. That our goal isn't to um, fill up our calendar with every single event that we can every week of the year, but rather our goal is to have fewer events that are done excellently, that are memorable, that you talk to somebody and you're like, oh, I go to that church at the longest intersection name in the city, Perrysburg, Holland, and Holland, Sylvania. And they say, oh, yeah, my, my kids, my grandkids went there, and there's a fantastic VBS. Optimistic, holistic, excellent. And I use a lot of words to say not much more than what I just said. 
in the next two pages. There's a lot here. Uh, next page, we talk about communication. And this is, this is always a challenge. I don't have the absolute answer on this one either. But the, the short answer is that if you pick up a calendar and you read my passage report every, every month, you'll know 95% of what's going on and what is planned. But then it's kind of laid out here. We've got two more. A little bit more about our small groups that we talked about last week. That uh, whether your small group is the Tuesday morning Psalms class or the Thursday evening doctrine class or the Friday afternoon um, Second Corinthians class or whether your small group is reading a book and getting together with some fellow Christians to discuss it, it doesn't matter to me. But find a way to share that fellowship together, to talk about God's word together, and how does it apply to our lives. And then finally, the last part, um, what is our goal for uh, ministering to families? Like, what do we want to provide for our families? And this is, um, I guess, the last part that we also talk about the, the table out in the entryway. That in ministering to our families, we want to, um, as I said previously, talking about holistic ministry, we want to work with what God has designed and the order that he has put there. That I would much rather help a mother or a father um, and give them the materials to sit down and talk about the Bible with their children as a greater priority than to have a mother or a father drop them off here for an hour and a half while a pastor teaches them. And I guess that's the last part, that out in the entryway, we've got a, um, a rolling bookshelf of the rest of our red hymnals and a stack of our new blue catechisms. If you don't have a hymnal at home, we've got a hymn of the month every month. This month is A Mighty Fortress is Our God. And all the hymns that we will be using for a hymn of the month are going to be in the red hymnal as well as our new blue hymnal. If you don't have a catechism at home, the calendar also has a section of the catechism to read every week because these truths aren't just for our 5th, 6th, 7th, and 8th graders, but they're also for our 50, 60, 70, and 80-year-olds. Why? Because Jesus has healed you. He's cleansed you. He's raised himself from the dead to prove it. He's brought you here to continue it. And he wants to continue to build this church here so that others, the only fellowship they have with God or one another is in their despair and misery, so that Jesus can extend his healing to others as well. Amen. Amen.